We are the Narrators 3, Elisa, Lynn, and Chell, and this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where every plot device has a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Time, Season 1, Episode 2. The thing you love most. All right, guys, so the air date for this one was originally October 30th, uh, 2011, almost Halloween. The writers were Adam Horowitz and Edward Kistis. And our director was Greg Beeman, uh, known mostly as an executive producer, but also directed um, such fine television as uh, Smallville, Nash Bridges, uh, Jag, Heroes, Star Girl, and Lucifer. Um, he also directed the films Mom and Dad Save the World and Bushwhacked. For anyone who had insomnia and channel surfed at 3 a.m. in 1996, a childhood me, <laughs> it definitely remembers Mom and Dad Save the World. I think it kind of scarred me a little. And as far as the title card, this one we've got the black unicorn. Uh, when this episode started, I actually was like, why is this one a horse? And then I remember that Regina kills her horse in this episode and then tries to kill another horse. So I'm like, ah, yeah, okay. I've got that. Yeah. Black <laughs> I think the black unicorn is uh, Melissa Fent's pet. Yeah. 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 Regina definitely goes on a horse hating rampage in this episode. She though. really does. And for someone who had loved horses very much. So Yeah, for a horse girl, she sure seems to hate horses. <laughs> she likes the <laughs> she's we know she's truly gone dark side at this point at this flashback. We should we should also pause it to reassure the um the people out there that there isn't actually no horse violence on oh, screen. Exactly. And, and I just say that because I'm somebody who's like really sensitive to um like animal cruelty on on tvs and, oh yeah and films oh like i the, won't watch oh, something yeah. i won't watch something if you see something bad happen to an animal right so, so um so yeah this is all like <laughs> off-screen stuff so we yeah. should emphasize that that you know I, this is still it's still disney it's still no it's we, we wouldn't be being this casual if you actually saw her like uh, anytime I have to watch a violent movie, let me tell you, and there's a pet in it, I always check, um, does the dog die? Does the dog die.com yeah. saves a lot of heartache and a lot of tears, trust yep. me. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's not just for dogs. It is for every, for all every member of the animal kingdom. Mm -hmm. Good tool in your pockets for everyone out there who didn't know about it yet. But let's talk about something happier than dog death. Oh, God, where is this going? Okay. <laughs> this episode starts off the next morning after our pilot adventures where the townspeople have noticed the clock has moved for the first time in 28 years. Overall that scene has like this really great vibe um, with the Cat Stevens song playing in the background. Regina goes through her son's storybook and notices that there's missing pages near the back and she goes to Henry and asks where these pages are but he says it's an old book. These things happen. Regina complains that he thinks of her as an evil queen rather than his mother. He insists he doesn't. She asks who he does think his mother is. Regina assures him Emma is no longer an issue, but then hears the clown clock chime. She goes to see it and notices Emma's iconic bug is still in town. Regina goes to see Emma with a basket of apples, saying they're from the trees she's had since she was a little girl. The mayor suggests Emma should enjoy them on her way home. Emma points out Regina telling her to leave is just encouraging her to stay. She wants to stay and make sure her biological son is okay. Regina says she has things under control. Emma asks what she means. Regina says the boy is in therapy and warns Emma not to underestimate her. Regina's speech about the apples kind of like gets under my skin because she says that they're honey crisp and I'm like, 
bitch, that's a basket of red delicious. Like your basic bitch, red delicious. Those are not- Which are the worst apples. They are the worst apples. Not to be an apple snob on Maine, but like every time she's like, the most delicious apples you'll ever taste. I'm like, you get those away from me. Those are the worst apples in the world. Yeah, between that and like what, Fuji Fuji apples and red delicious. They're just like your basic, like three for 99 cent kind of (laughs) apples. And I'm like, those are not Honeycrisp. I know what a Honeycrisp looks like. I know what it tastes like. They're they're pretty, but- I yeah, think they, some poor PA had to shine every single one of those apples that yeah. went into that Oh, basket, for sure. Muttering under his breath that one day he was going to be the one to run the show. <laughs> but I mean, you not- just, You just fucking wait. <laughs> it's not even just the apples. Regina's so all over the place in the beginning because she like, she steals her son's property and then gets angry at him that he took pages out of it. And it's like, okay, this is pretty hypocritical here. She's like basically angry that she didn't get the chance to ruin his book first. It's like, what? what's your game here? She's just like, I stole your property and I can't believe you took things out of it. That's my job. And it's like, Regina, what exactly are you trying to tell your son here? Because your messages are all over the place. Your secret pages. You and your damn apples. <laughs> you your damn apples that you don't even know what they are, even though that's your like... A major key point of your character. So after all that, uh, it cuts to the Enchanted Forest and the evil queen teleports back to her castle as Prince Charming tries to kill her by throwing his sword and the magic mirror asks what she's done. When that happened, there's this like really great kind of ridiculous like slow zoom close up on Regina. She enters with her bum 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 music and it's just uh, really makes me laugh. Because her music is a (laughs) punchline. But this is, I think, our first time we see the Magic Mirror, um, who is, uh, how do you say his first name? Is Jean- John, it's John Carlo. Oh my gosh, that's so simple. I didn't even really, okay. John Carlo, um, who is such a good actor. And I always kind of wish he had a different role in Once a Time, because I think he could have been utilized better. So let's, let's go ahead and like address the elephant in the room, which is the very like serious racism, like of the Magic Mirror. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like, I want to acknowledge that it is not okay to have this actor of color as a man trapped in a a enslaved object in her her home. Like, it's not okay. It's not not okay. okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's it's not okay. It's it's not good. There's so much about him. We'll break down more, but it's just, it's it's such a waste. He is amazing. Like, he blows me away and so many other he's so good um and i i wish he had something like the weight and presence of like regina and and rumpelstiltskin because like yes wasted he is absolutely wasted well especially since he's proven in so many other shows that he can play such a good and compelling villain yeah it's really it's really a waste that they didn't use him for one of the bigger villain roles in the show and just gave him this furniture they made him furniture made him furniture yeah made him furniture and he deserved so much more because damn that man can act Mm -hmm. um i think he's so great at this like pleasant menacing nature and i think he would have fit so well in the show as someone different um yeah absolutely and and with the role that he was given I mean, he just acted the pants off of it. Like it was oh, yeah. just like he did what he could. He was not handed much, but he did what he could with it. He did, and you know, he really like in later episodes, which we will go into. He really, for me at least, when, when I've been rewatching, he really, really like like I have a soft spot for him because of everything. 
and it's and it's completely due to him and his acting gravitas mm-hmm. oh yeah absolutely he's so good i get so excited whenever he's in something because i'm just like oh damn yeah all right <laughs> honey so uh the evil queen explains that she casts the dark curse uh, much to her surprise of her servant and the magic mirror she then goes to the forbidden forest to see maleficent played by Kristen bauer von stratton um another evil witch who's amazing <laughs> the two briefly spar verbally um the evil queen then demands her curse back um, maleficent says they've already made their exchange it's hers now she points out it's hidden in the orb on her staff and contained for good reason the evil queen summons her magical forces summoning a fireball from the fireplace um, maleficent fights back as the evil queen animates all the weapons and throws them at maleficent's pet a black unicorn the mistress protects her pet but the evil queen binds her with the metal from the chandelier and takes the staff. Uh, when Maleficent tr- tells her to do her worst, the evil queen refuses, saying she's her only friend and ignores her friend's warning. The dark curse will create a void within her she cannot fill. The evil queen accepts that and leaves. So this is our first little glance at Maleficent. I love Kristen Bauer. We, yeah. you, we all know her and love her as the Me. iconic Pam yeah. from True Blood. Uh, my absolute favorite from True Blood. She was just... So great. And so they, great. they, I believe that they did want to do more with her in these earlier seasons, but because of her commitments to True Blood, like it couldn't be more than a, the occasional, you know. Yeah, I think that's why she, like, she only like really got cameos until later seasons because she was correct. You know, too yeah. busy being the best character on True Blood. Exactly. <laughs> Car- carrying the whole show carrying on her whole shoulders. Show. <laughs> so that's good. how she got so ripped from so carrying good. the whole show. <laughs> so she absolutely kills the scene. I really like costume look they did for her here. I love her dress. I it's love really, it. Yeah, it's pretty divorced from her animated look, which I really love. I think they took a lot of interesting, you know, they, they went different direction with it. Like there's enough nods to the animated version, but it's not overkill. I like it. But yeah, Regina really in a horse murder spree this episode, but she protects her unicorn. Don't worry. Unicorn comes yeah, up. Because the pony unicorn is the best. Yeah. I love, I love the tiny pony unicorn. And I also love that, like, Regina just comes in here just, like, in this, like, bluster. And Maleficent has no fucks to give. She's just like, who cares, man? Just get a horse. Get the hell over it. Like, yeah, she this... doesn't care at all. <laughs> I so love good. that, like, yeah. Okay, so my one, I guess, take that, like, my one, like, little ding for her outfit was I didn't I didn't really like it that they didn't really do too much with her hair. But then I realized, I was like, you know, Maleficent is very blasé in this episode. I mean, like, that's her that's her attitude. Like, she's- It's she's her day like, off. She's yeah, she's like in, in her she's wicked like, house robe. I think she's like in retirement. She's like, yeah, yeah, yeah she's she's like fully embraced her inner like dude Lebowski. Like, mm-hmm. She's just like, man, I can't be bothered by all that shit. And she 100% has. She's just yeah. like, she's just like, I don't know what you are so bent out of shape about. I just got a horse. I just got I'm a pony fine. and I'm like super. I'm super like high and stoked and like yeah, who, great. who cares, man? Who, who cares, cares, man? Just, just let all that shit go. Just get a pony and get over it. Yeah. <laughs> Smoke some enchanted reaper or something. Like that's that's like the level of zero she, that Melissa had. I love it. I love it. 100 100 she is like just smoke some reefer pet your unicorn and let that shit go man <laughs> listen to some stevie nicks and just like exactly. let it go <laughs> just let it go man you're aging yourself <laughs> i know so after that evil queen ignores her meets with other dark forces of the land and tells them today is the day that they finally emerge triumphant they ask if they'll be happy and the evil queen says they will 
but she needs a lock of hair from the darkest souls of the land. At her jester, the trees around them animate, surrounding them. They each contribute a lock, and the evil queen causes the limbs to withdraw. She then takes out the final ingredient, the heart of her prized steed from her childhood. She unleashes the dark curse, and a column of magical smoke swirls up into the air as the others look on, but then disappear. A gnome laughs at the evil queen for her failure. She transforms him into a stone statue, which we see is in Regina's garden now in Storybrook. Costume-wise, overall, um... Oh my I'm, god, those feathers. I'm not into those red feathers. <laughs> the yeah. feathers. Every time, okay, this is like a once upon a time drinking game level of like ridiculousness with the feathers. Like every time I see a feather that does not belong on someone's costume, I'm going to take a drink. Because the rest of it looks you're, good. It's, it's a silhouette is bomb. I love it. Those red feathers need to go. Otherwise, she's beautiful. But those red feathers were a mistake. And also like, I don't know, Regina's like having a bad guy in on meeting. And like, who yeah, we only, are all we these only fucking people? See, we only ever see one of them, and that's the blind witch. We will see her. But other um, than that, uh, you never see these people ever no. again. It's like and who are? It they? reminds me. So I have a note here that just says Narnia because if you remember, <laughs> like the the um the chapter where the white witch like has like her council of all like the really like the really awesome oh, yeah. like bad yes. versions of Narnia, like all the all the all the wi- willow of the wist and the and the send the messages to the dryads and the naiads and the you know blah 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 you know and the ghouls and the ghosts and mm-hmm. the banshees and i'm like this is it um, but like but this is it but this is like a last minute evite and these are like the stragglers who have <laughs> yeah. nothing better to do on a saturday night and the like oh of, yeah they're like hey it's all the people that you didn't want to show up but that you invited because like you guys have like friends in common like <laughs> melissa fit was mm-hmm. like i I ain't going to your fucking like drum circle of sadness <laughs> and rage. No uh, thanks. I feel I feel like it's framed like remember them. They're gonna be important because this is like is. Regina's group that she has in on the curse. So like make sure you pay attention to them, and then you just never fucking see them again ever. <laughs> like oh okay. In her garden, like that's like that's it. The gnome. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. That's 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 the takeaway is like, well, now that guy lives there, which by the way, he is then 10 times bigger when you see him in her garden. Like scale-wise, he like maybe comes up to her ankle when she turns him into stone and then it's like a pull back to the garden. And it's like a knee-high garden gnome and it's like, uh, I guess he inflated when he came over to our world. I don't really understand. Yeah, you know, those rules of magical transport, you know, sometimes you gain cause bloating and yeah maybe the magic curse is just really bad at math and it can't like trans like it can't um scale mm-hmm. and do like the transfer from like metric or to or you know to whatever the hell you know what? they that use actually, that's uh, that's fair because they're like very small creatures yeah people in like later episodes that are that are normal sized humans in the normal world so that's like the carryover is they're all a metric and they come here and they're like, we don't understand what Americans are doing. <laughs> yeah, no, pretty much. No, the rest of the world measures like this. I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I know that they like in the Enchanted Forest, uh, they do like, like their weight is in stone a lot. So yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah. So I oh, yes. I wouldn't uh, be surprised if they're metric and then they, they yeah, they, they, they're like, oh my God, she really did pick the most horrible place in all the like, realms. <laughs> it has standard. No. Or, I don't even know what our measuring system is. Called. Isn't but that sad? Whose feet are all the same size? How do I measure that? <laughs> <Okay>. So, 
Regina is in the garden admiring the apples and the gnome statue. When the which is bigger. Which is bigger. <laughs> when the newspaper editor, Sydney Glass, approaches her. He has already published an article in the town newspaper, The Mirror, about Emma destroying the town's boundary marker, but admits he learned little of Emma's background. Regina points out that he's learned nothing of value and warns him to find something or she'll dispose of him. Uh, Emma is then at Granny's Diner getting breakfast when the waitress, Ruby, brings her a cup of hot chocolate sprinkled with cinnamon. Emma assumes Sheriff Graham got it for her and goes over to him, telling him she doesn't want anything from him. But Henry looks up from the next booth and says he sent it over. Cinnamon is a personal touch because he enjoys his hot chocolate with cinnamon too. I think this is our first like big time in, in Grannies. And I just really love the forest wallpaper in Grannies. I think it's a really nice visual story uh, for Granny and Ruby. Because, uh, well, we'll find out who they are in a little bit. But I think it's a little obvious uh, for, for new watchers and having them in the forest. I think it's a nice touch. Yeah. I just, okay. I need to ask this of you guys. Is cinnamon and hot chocolate not normal? Because I thought that was a super normal thing. And Once Upon a Time makes this huge deal of like, oh, there's only certain people who enjoy this. You're in an in club. And like, I've lost track of any places I go where you're like hot chocolate. And it just comes that way. Is that not normal? I don't, I don't think it's common on the East Coast. I've certainly never is experienced- that what it is? Yeah, I think it's like an East Coast thing where like that, like that kind of seasoning wouldn't really be standard, but it's standard out here because we're in Southern California. And I, I feel oh. like cinnamon is just used a little bit more. It's on everything out here. Yeah, liberally yeah. out here. So Henry invites uh, Emma to walk him to school and he says his plan is to free everyone from the curse. Um, as Emma is about to bite one of Regina's apple, Henry grabs it and throws it away. This is the funniest shot of this episode. And I really want to look for the funniest shot or line in every single episode going forward because he's like, where did you get that apple? And she's like, your mom. And he just grabs it from her. And he's like, he's like, she's the evil queen. Like, like, duh. Like, you know, she poisoned Snow White, you know, and he goes, don't eat it. And he just tosses it very comedically over his oh, shoulder no, his, yeah. with his it, timing no, is, is glorious it's is glorious <laughs> like again jared s gilmore i don't know what you're doing right now because i just haven't looked at your imdb to see like you know where, where where you are in life but holy crap that kid just deserves so much recognition for just how good he is because he's yeah, hilarious don't eat it. and i love it because you never hear that apple fall or like hit anyone on the head yeah what what happens to i was it? like damn man henry is like rolling chaotic neutral like oh, for all sure. over oh, the place like he is the very definition of chaotic neutral he is and that might be part of why i love him so much to be Ditto. perfectly honest Ditto. Emma asks why the citizens uh, don't remember their past lives, and Henry explains if they all live in a haze and none of them have aged, as time was frozen from the point the curse brought them to this world, as represented by the previously broken clock. Okay, here we go. Okay, so only Henry ages in Storybrooke. Mm -hmm. um, that is what this scene has just casually revealed, and they never really seems to go, they ever, I don't think they ever go into it but I'm assuming that the mental fog of the curse inhibits the residents from really noticing that Henry ages, question mark, since they mm -hmm. can't really differentiate one day from the next. Um, like not in a meaningful way. Like they're just, you know, they're kind of like, like Westworld AI, like they're on a track, you know, sort of. Like they have like a routine and they go about that um, routine, but like the actual sense of time just doesn't, 
permeate in their consciousness. But that this doesn't include Regina, of course, who does acknowledge his growth and milestones of childhood. And she's, you know, 100% aware of change and growth and the fact that, you know, she is the only one or was until she adopted Henry. So, and that's kind of, I think, you know, and we'll go into it much later, but I think that's almost why, like one of the, one of the reasons that, you know, Regina was compelled to adopt a child was just so she wouldn't be alone in the uh, self-awareness of the town, even though she's not <laughs> acknowledging it, you know, why the town is weird. But I'm unsure if it was the book that clued Henry in, but I, I doubt it. I mean, he clearly had a computer with access to the internet. He consumed comics, movies, books, you know, that informed him that something was off. But I guess it wasn't until the book that he put the pieces together. And this is maybe why Mary Margaret senses that Henry is, you know, quote unquote, special. Like, like maybe like unconsciously, you know, she knows that he, you know, he's different in some way that she can't see, you know, because of the curse. But I just think like, man, how screwed up is that for Henry? Like to grow up and, and he probably wouldn't have really truly noticed until he started going to school. Yeah, because so. that was actually, I almost made that point when we talked about the last episode, but then I remembered that it would be a spoiler to people who didn't know about the whole fog that kept everybody still. But like they, they go to his school last episode. Yeah. And there's all these kids that are in the same grade as him. But like, so what happens to them? Do they just stay in that same grade and like just Henry moves out of it? I don't know like because they the don't. The next grade of other children who don't age also? So they don't address the fact if these characters, like, you know, these like, like consenting adult characters who were just, again, just like the, like not the core people who like this was, this curse was actually truly aimed at, but like, you know, just general run of the mill Joe Schmo citizens, could they procreate in, in Storybrooke? Because if they could give birth and they're they're having children who are then are technically citizens of the land without magic. So, I don't think that ever gets addressed. Like I, but, and I honestly will admit that I never thought about that and just assumed that like every child you see was a child that moved over from the enchanted forest. So it was just like a perpetual child because really the only ones you get to talk to are like when you meet Hansel and Gretel later. And, and then uh, Paige. Yeah, and those are all in the and, same like kind of perpetual child boat, I'm assuming. Right. So yeah, I don't know. And maybe this is like something yeah. that I can do a little bit of digging because I'm sure somebody had to ask that at some convention in like the seven years that they, you know, did their, you know, media circuit dog and pony show. Because if they don't, like, how creepy is it that that's like... It's just all these kids and they just keep repeating the same grade over and over again, except for Henry. Yeah. Who then like, I guess just has to like in a liminal space, move into another grade with everyone else who already knows each other. Cause they've already been repeating this grade for like the last 28 years. Right. Right. Like, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. So what, that's something to definitely Stafford like situation for Henry. When you think about it. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Absolutely. It's very, like, very terrifying. Here comes Henry, the one lone new person in our class. And, Hello, and if Henry. that is the case, then Henry's anger towards Regina is completely justified. But because of the fact yeah, that they just don't go into it and they don't really sit and 
explore these very disturbing um, insinuations of the curse. Yeah. Like Henry just kind of seems like a, like unnaturally angry almost. Like you know, I mean, you know, he's a child, and I'm not going to fault him for anger. But like, and saying that his no, feelings he's, are he's, he's pre adolescent. That's about the point when you're the most ready to take a sweet like a swing at everybody. So <laughs> there's um there's I'm not going to say anything like detail wise about the episode uh, because it is much further down the line. Um, but there's an episode I want to say um either late season two early season three where we see a bit of the past of storybrook uh during the period of the curse yes uh, where there is some outside human interference right. um and uh people realizing that's very like uncanny valley a little off like that is explored a, a little bit in that episode yes I mean, if you if you really start to like think too hard about a bunch of the things, it kind of becomes a horror movie. And I and I think that actually, you know, and I don't know if this was intentional or not, or you know, if I'm just giving them a little too much credit, but that is kind of in the same vein as the original sources of these fairy tales. Like, oh, yeah. oh absolutely. They're, absolutely, they're borderline horror stories. They they yeah. are, which actually sort of bleeds into my other point because everyone in Storybrooke is a fairy tale character. Yeah. You see so many people in the background. So are they just like the random paragraph long Grimm's fairy tales that are all just about like a guy who loses a foot? Yeah, I'm I'm sure I'm sure like they're they're part of them. They're part of like all of the like oral traditions of like Slavic retellings and I just I want to know Germanic like random fairy tales that are going around are like we don't get any indication they just I mean normies but I think I think most I think that's the thing though I think a lot of them are just normies because you do have just like you know rabble like villages of people who who got swept up because Storybrooke is Storybrooke is like a TARDIS where it it seems like it's a it seems like a little town and it's much bigger and they even like they'll comment on it a couple times later down but it is actually quite bigger than we ever get to really experience. I, think I just always assumed that if you were in storybook you were somehow either or your own story or a central part in a story. Yeah or maybe I don't I don't think so. Background like you know the person on page like five who picks up a letter and hands it to snow white they exist like i have the complete Grimm's fairy tales there's tons that are like three sentences long they're just like this guy did a thing and now he doesn't have an ear you really shouldn't be like him and there's like 200 of those that's probably was the other guy sitting on the counter in granny's diner was the guy who now doesn't have an ear yeah don't be like (laughs) no i I, I think yeah i think a lot of them are are the citizens because they're pretty clear that like it, it swept up everybody in that one in like the central one area section, of yeah. of the enchanted forest yeah which so. I, I gets explored i think a lot in other seasons it, yeah there's seasons. Like so, okay yeah i think we're deep diving a little we're too deep, deep diving. Now. all right let's go back uh, okay then, uh so henry uh stresses that emma is the only one who can free everyone uh, no pressure um and that he removed the pages from the storybook to keep regina from learning emma is the daughter of snow white and prince charming Henry tells her to read the pages and learn about her past, but to make sure Regina doesn't see them because it would be bad if she learned Emma is the savior. 
Um, they give their mission the hilarious name Operation Cobra. The pages that he gives her is really funny because how could Emma read those? Like one eighth of the page is missing. Like there's a lot of words left behind in the book. And it is actually consistent. The pages that he gives her and the missing pages that Regina finds, there's like this like one eighth corner. There's a lot of words on that. He had to do it really quick. So it slid under the radar of Regina's campaign against literacy. True, true. <laughs> So they arrive at school. Uh, Henry goes inside um, after saying he's glad that Emma believes in him. Uh, his teacher, Mary Margaret, sees them talk and comes over to thank Emma for making Henry smile. She explains to Emma that Regina has managed to remain mayor through intimidation. She reveals that Henry believes that she is Snow White. When Mary Margaret asks who Henry thinks Emma is, a visibly shook Emma lies and says she's not in the book. Emma goes to see Archie and asks why Henry thinks people are storybook characters. Archie explains Henry is using the book to deal with his problems. Emma points out Henry only got the book a month ago and his problems go back further. The psychiatrist admits Henry had, has, has had problems with his adoptive mother and offers Emma the file. Emma wonders why he's violating doctor-patient confidentiality. Archie says Emma is very important to Henry. As she goes, Archie tells her to be careful not to destroy the boy's imagination. Once Emma leaves, Archie calls Regina and says she's right. Emma took the file. When Archie wonders why Emma came here, Regina says she's the one who gave Emma the idea. So Archie, I love you. You pull some things. But he is Caden Alenko from Mass Effect. But he is Caden Alenko from Mass Effect. I mean, <laughs> so he's, I being, he's being intimidated. <laughs> he's being yeah. intimidated. Yeah, like I, I would, you know, be scared of Regina too. Like she's pretty terrifying. Um, so I get it, but still. I do forgive him for everything because he is my Canadian space boyfriend. I know. He's very <laughs> precious. He looks like an adorable dweeb. I do really like him. So Emma's in her room reading the file when Graham comes by and says Archie has filed a complaint. Get your damn boots off that bed, Emma. Oh, I know, oh, right? Jesus, this is not your home. Also, I really like Graham. Maybe it's the Northern Irish accent or the hipster chic best. Oh, I talked about ignore in, him. In Graham that. is precious. I love Graham. I love Graham. I think we talked about that last time, so we can cut yeah. that part out. So that's no, okay. anytime Graham shows up, we need to remark on the fact that he's very handsome. Okay. Very handsome. It's he's, extremely he's important. It is. It's extremely between, important. But, but yes, between the Belfast accent and and the hipster chic. Mm-hmm. No, anytime just... he shows up, if we're not mentioning that he's handsome, we're not doing our job correctly. Not doing our job. Okay. Good. So he's handsome. Emma's yeah. lacking manners. She got her boots up on the bed. They're cute oh. boots, but they're up on the bed. They're even like towards the pillow. Uh, it's awful. It's bad. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, it's she horrible. has like her head at the bottom of the bed and like her feet like are up by the pillow. And it's like, that's not oh. even okay if you don't have your shoes on. Like, because you don't put your feet on the pillow anyway. Mm-hmm. No. But then she has like her muddy boots that, you know, she's been stomping around all town and like mm-hmm. all morning. She's been everywhere and it's been rainy. You can tell that it's been rainy. So they're muddy. Muddy boots. So Archie is claiming that Emma stole the files. Uh, Emma shows him the files Graham arrests her for. She points out she's being set up. Graham asks who would want to set her up. We then cut to Regina interrupting an outdoor lesson at Henry's school. She takes him aside, tells him Emma has been arrested and she's a con woman trying to take advantage of them. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go to your school rip you out of your lesson and just be like and taunt you about how your birth mother 
is a yeah, con, con woman. woman. She's a con woman, and I just had her arrested. That's bad like apple. Regina's whole shtick right now. Is she's just like my relationship with my son is bad. I know. I gotta have this woman arrested. That'll fix everything. It'll fix it. I'll just keep arresting her until he loves me again. <laughs> Dina, I great. It's a great work. plan. I think yeah, plan. she's like she's like I don't have a beloved horse here. It's hard I can yeah. sacrifice, so I'm just gonna have to arrest this. So one. I gotta just keep arresting Emma. It's all I got. But yeah, so Henry doesn't believe it. Regina insists she's trying to protect them. So Graham takes Emma's mug shots, and Emma warns that Regina is trying to get rid of her and asks what influence she has with the police. Henry arrives with Mary Margaret and tells Emma he knew she was gathering intel for Operation Cobra. Mary Margaret posts bail, much to Emma's surprise. Regina is working in her office when she hears a noise outside. She looks outside and sees Emma taking a chainsaw to her apple tree. Regina storms out. Emma tells her she'll have to do better than that to get her out of town. Tells her it's her move and walks away. Oh, this scene. This scene is the best. I don't even, I don't know where she got the chainsaw from. I don't even care. I'm assuming she doesn't matter. It's hot. No, it's so hot. (laughs) She's like wearing her, her tight pants and her boots and her, and her uh, undershirt, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of thing, her camisole undershirt thing. The chainsaw is just a stroke of genius and it is giving me all the army of darkness vibes. It's it's so good. It's so good. It's like, Like, she she has a lot of, uh, what's Bruce Campbell's character? Ash. Ash. She has Ash. a lot of Ash moments in this whole series, especially Which in the first Which is fabulous, really. And I like first the chainsaw and then with like her gun eventually. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, cause she is, she really is surrounded by primitive screw heads. Let's be mm-hmm. real. So <laughs> she is the, she is the modern guy with the gun who got yeah. dropped in the middle of this fantasy world. And it's just like, all right, right. I guess I got to fix everything. Yeah. Oh, hello, lesbian subtext. So nice of you to join the party. (laughs) I mean, I feel like that is basically welcome to the biggest non-canon ship in the show. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. I think it was born at this scene. It It absolutely was. I feel like everyone who was real big on that ship, that's probably where it started for them. Like, I can't speak for them because I was in, I guess, my arguably vanilla corner for this whole thing. But I have to imagine if that was your ship, that had to have been where it started. Emma throwing her gauntlet and challenging Regina to a duel. And it's like, it's so good. It's real hot. So good. So good. So hot. <laughs> Love it. So after that wonderful display, uh, we're back in the enchanted forest. Uh, De Valet uh, tells the evil queen, perhaps it's for the best that she failed. Uh, since the dark forces are more powerful than she can conceive. He assures her helping her is his life, and she asks for his help to find out why the dark curse didn't work. The valet suggests she talk to Rumpelstiltskin, as he was the one who gave her the curse, but warns her that going for revenge is dangerous because there's no going back. The evil queen wonders what she has to go back to. Rumpelstiltskin is in his cell when he realizes the rat outside his cell is the evil queen. She transforms to her human form and tells him the dark curse he gave her isn't working. Rumpelstiltskin reveals that Snow White and Prince Charming visited him as well, in fear of her curse, and he told him that only their unborn child can break the curse. Queen Regina asks what she did wrong. Rumpelstiltskin's price for his answer is a good, comfortable life in the new land she is banishing them to, and that she must heed his every request as long as he says please. The evil queen reminds him that he won't remember anything if the curse succeeds, and he agrees. He then tells her she needs to sacrifice the heart of something precious, not just her horse. The evil queen asks what will suffice. 
he says the heart of what she loves most. When she says what she loved most died because of Snow White, Rumpelstiltskin says there must be something else and tells her to consider how far she's willing to go. The evil queen says she'll go as far as it takes. He tells her to stop wasting time and go kill it. Choke me, daddy. <laughs> oh, like, okay, I don't ship it, like, at all. But choke me, daddy. <laughs> okay, in all earnestness, we have the two best actors of the whole show having their really first meaty scene together. Certainly not their last. Even by the body language alone, we know the evil queen knows Rumpelstiltskin like beyond beyond like an a casual a casual like you belong to my bad guys hellfire club and yeah. she did not show up to <laughs> so yeah. he's obviously cooler <laughs> and uh well he's locked up well yeah uh, I mean and- like any of us believe that if he really wanted to get out he couldn't have yeah would have blown it off <laughs> and um you know she's not she's not visibly afraid of him the same way that like other people are. And I think that's, you know, super telling because she's like the first one to not, you know, flinch at him. Like she's very comfortable in his presence in other words. Yeah. And it makes you interesting. It makes you like, oh, what's the story here? What's the story here? My only comment on this scene was actually touched upon in our last episode but the makeup for him went super backward in this episode like his very good pilot makeup i don't know what happened i don't yeah i don't know if they were trying to like make him look grimier because like some time has passed but there's just bits of just regular unpainted dude skin that you can just Mm. see like they just missed places it, it definitely, it's, it's the situation, I feel like it's very much like the situation we talked about last episode, where in certain episodes, it seems like they kind of just put it on him in the dark and went make it work and shoved him out there. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Robert Carlyle. Because it is not on par at all with the pilot makeup job, which was very good. This one very is good. not good. And I love and respect stage makeup so much that it honestly hurts my feelings. I, I will say this though. Um... The one, the one area they got absolutely right were his reptilian eyes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and that was gorgeous. Like it's they're very unnerving. They're very also equally alluring too to like stare at. You're like, am I looking at a snake person? Like what? It, and they really did like a this like super close up of his eyes just so you understood like how uh, inhu- and how inhuman yeah. and how far away from his Mr. Gold persona that you know he has he that he came from yeah but then he's just got chunks of unpainted dude skin i know it's upsetting because like he's acting his pants off so much that you barely notice it because it really wasn't until this rewatch and i've seen this episode many many times it really wasn't until this rewatch that i realized how bad the makeup was so i feel like that is a prop to his acting yeah that like it took me like my sixth time watching this episode before i went wow that's really uneven I'm sorry, you said act his pants off and I got completely distracted. I was going to so, say, we just lost you for a minute there with that comment. <laughs> like, oh, Chell's just gone now because she's, I'm gone. She's gone to her adult I'm... corner. <laughs> um, so well, my mind, there you go. I've been in my rumple mind palace. Mind palace. <laughs> Is it just like his giggle on loop through the oh, whole place? <laughs> wait, you have not heard this story. Okay, so after watching the first season of the show, I had his giggle on just like stuck in my head like a song on loop for like a day. And I tell you, I think I lost my mind. You did. I was there. <laughs> it was just on repeat. No, I remember. Well, uh, as Emma returns to her room, 
Granny reluctantly approaches her and asks her to leave because they have a, a no felons city ordinance. Random. <laughs> I know. A thinly veiled ploy set up by Regina. Graham comes to see Regina, who demands he arrest Emma for destroying city property. The sheriff suggests that Emma may be innocent and wonders who convinced Archie to lie. Regina warns him not to let a crush get the better of him. He's honestly probably just tired of arresting her every five minutes. Yeah, he's tired. <laughs> let Graham sleep. Let him rest. Let him uh, earn his paycheck. Nothing happens in story. <laughs> <laughs> he's arrested her five times today alone. <laughs> uh, Graham warns uh, Madame Mayor that it is only Henry who will be hurt if the situation escalates. As Emma goes to get her car, she discovers it's been booted. Regina calls and offers to meet so they can make peace. When Emma gets there, Regina apologizes and then suggests Emma wants to take Henry away, which Emma sincerely denies. She simply wants to make sure Henry is okay given his troubles. She explains Henry can't tell the difference between fantasy and reality and that it's crazy. Henry overhears this and runs away. Emma realizes Regina set her up, and Regina says she did know that he'd be there because she's his mother. Emma wonders how Regina has become so soulless and walks away. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So anyways, we go back to the Enchanted Forest. Uh, the Evil Queen returns to her castle. And the magic mirror asks what happened, but she ignores him. And the valet asks if she learned what she needed to know. Uh, the evil queen admits she's conflicted and explains what she has to do. And the valet realizes he's the one she loves most. She turns to him and calls him daddy, but admits she doesn't know what she's going to do, going into his arms for an embrace. He tells her to move past it, but the evil queen says she can't live with what Snow White took from her. Her father suggests that she start over, so they can have a new life. But the evil queen says her power will disappear and the others will think she's nothing. He tells her she can have love again and hugs her, saying they can find happiness together. However, the choice is hers. The evil queen cries and then says he can be right and removes his heart with her bare hand as he stares at her in shock. As he collapsed to the ground, the evil queen apologizes. Okay, I should probably clarify here. That is her father. That is not like some kinky, like, yes, daddy, you know, kind of like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, people, people don't be weird. Every time weird. someone says don't daddy, it isn't dad. a sex thing. Yeah, no, sometimes no, no. It's That's just, just your father. Like, sometimes it's just your dad and it's not just Chell, like being weird. Yeah. Like, okay. settle, settle down, Sigmund Freud. Sometimes the tunnel's just a tunnel. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, but no, that is her father. Uh, that's her father. So, uh, the valet was her father. Uh, and no one can convince me that Horowitz and Kitsis did not spend their Gen X youth watching Indiana Jones and the Temple of Dune on repeat. All right, everybody, who did it better? Regina or Mula Ram? Taking out the heart and ripping it out. And I, frankly, I think Regina, swifter. Yeah, thank yeah. you for reminding me of my childhood trauma watching that yeah, movie. Seriously. <laughs> oh, me too. Many, many a nightmare. That was, that was two weeks of nightmare straight. Thank you. 
um, Regina in the scene and also just in general through a lot of the show is just that meme and she's just shooting her father and then going why would Snow White do this <laughs> she's 100% the air contrary meme right Andre meme, yes. <laughs> why would Snow White do this why would Snow White do this <laughs> <laughs> so we're back in Storybrooke and Emma goes to see Mary Margaret to reimburse the bail money uh, the teacher offers to hear her out and offers her cinnamon hot chocolate and cookies uh, Emma asks why Mary Margaret trusts her and she says she has a feeling they met before she believes Emma is innocent Emma says she's leaving to keep Henry from being hurt. Mary Margaret points out that the fact Emma wants to leave is the very reason for her to stay because she actually cares about him and that there'll be no one else here to protect him. For all, Mary Margaret is so cute. And I would trust her with my I would trust her with my life. Cinnamon hot chocolate. Also, yeah, welcome back to the very exclusive Cinnamon Hot Chocolate Club because no one does that and it's super weird. So we're back in Archie's office. Uh, Henry's having his therapy. He's pretty dejected from earlier, understandably, and Henry denies ever thinking that Archie was Jiminy Cricket. Emma storms in and Archie tries to apologize for what he did, but she brushes him off and tells Henry she wanted to stay and get to know him. She admits she thinks the curse is crazy, but that doesn't mean it's not true. Emma claims she told Regina what she needed to hear because the only way to break the curse is by tricking the evil queen into thinking they're both non-believers. Henry cheers up, and Emma tells him the pages are dangerous and burns them in Archie's fireplace to make sure Regina never sees them. He gets up and hugs her, saying he knew she was there to help him, and Emma says not even a curse will stop her from helping him. All right, and then we, we go back to the Enchanted Forest. The evil queen takes her father's heart, to a clearing and tosses it into the fire uh, this time without her party um <laughs> without her bad guy and on meeting maybe it's for the best because this time the curse expands throughout the land and changes everything in its path um regina then goes to a gravestone and leaves a flower at her father's grave revealing his name to be henry i just made a comment about why henry senior isn't buried in a mausoleum at her palace but i guess because time of, is of the essence. I don't know. I mean, I mean she, maybe she, if, if we're going off that, I guess he's lucky he even got a headstone. Yeah. yeah and then I was like, <laughs> did she commission a stonemason or was it just like conjured by magic? It had to have been magic. I gotta, magic assume, yeah. I gotta assume she magicked it herself. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I feel as soon as she had that heart, she was like, all right, we're, we're cursing yeah. now. And I, I wonder just, if she kept it in a beer cooler like the way they do with like heart transplants. <laughs> Your magical beer cooler. Magical beer cooler. <laughs> enchanted, enchanted, beer, enchanted cooler. beer cooler. I just, I can't with this scene <laughs> because she's like crying and being like, goodbye, daddy. And it's like, you're so addicted to being the victim and you just like blame everyone else for this. It's like, you killed him. Murdered no her one dad. else did this. You did this. And she's just like, I do all these bad things. Why am I sad and have no friends and no one likes me? And it's like, maybe because you murder everyone who likes you. Like, just be like she's, like, she's the brontosaurus of like, all oh, my friends are dead. She is. And it's like, you don't need to but be it's like, this yeah, way. because you're the one who killed them. You yeah, killed it's them. you. you yes, you your them. friends are all dead because you killed them all. Come you on. Like, you killed them. Just be like Maleficent and get a fucking unicorn pony. Just get a pony. I can't with you. Just <laughs> get a pony. Uh, she killed them. And then don't kill the pony after you get it. But then why would Snow White do that? Snow White clearly killed that pony. <laughs> it's true. Snow White <laughs> killed her horse and her dad. She also <laughs> could control the weather and wrote the screenplay to glitter. <laughs> Back in Storybrooke, Henry and Emma leave Archie's office together. 
As Regina tends to her apple tree, Mr. Gold comes by and congratulates her on being in high spirits. When the mayor says she's triumphed, Gold warns her he saw Emma and Henry together. He suggests Regina should have come to him for help, or a price, of course. When Regina says she's not in the business of making deals with him anymore, Gold points out uh, he procured Henry for her and asks why she chose the name Henry. Suspicious. Regina accuses Gold of wanting Emma to come to Storybook and demands to know where he obtained Henry. Gold denies any knowledge of what Regina is insinuating. Regina asks who Emma Swan is and Gold let his mask slip briefly, saying Emma is exactly who Regina thinks she is. Regina demands to know more, but he won't answer her questions and asks her to let him go, please. Immobilized by the caveat Rumpelstiltskin put into the curse, Regina is unable to do more than glower at him in dawning realization as he walks away. Uh, so this is our very first Regina versus Gold power play of who can outplot who, and I love it. It's great. And uh, credits roll. What a superb episode. Um, it furthers the plot and adds some much needed nuance to our two villains. It shows that Regina did have someone she loved. Obviously, didn't love enough to spare from revenge but obviously you know that was clearly snow white's fault though oh yeah but that was clearly snow white's fault um so you know that's not on her conscience at all um and also that rumpelstiltskin can manipulate and exert his power while allowing others like regina to believe that they have the upper hand um i really liked the mother-daughter heart-to-heart talk that mary margaret and emma have uh the former being totally ignorant that she is you know Emma's mother and Emma, of course, in very willful disbelief that this mother, this woman who is her own age can even be her mom. So, you know, but I thought that that was like a very nice Yeah, scene. Really, it's it, a it really was sweet moment. Sweet. And finally, uh, costume-wise, so Mr. Gold finally has like, he's finally looking good. <laughs> he's, he doesn't have his no picnic shirt. Yeah. No, no, he's got his lovely pocket square and looking, looking real fly. I also love that Mary Margaret's wardrobe is... Uh, always very cute and comfortable it's very it's not um unrealistic it's a very realistic wardrobe yeah they uh, all have her in flats which i think is very sweet very sweet she's mostly in neutrals with like a pop of color and emma reflects her color palette with a splash of like the deep crimson um with the, which is her signature jacket harkening back to the cape that her father prince charming wore when we first saw him on his way to wake snow white with a kiss yeah so i, I always that. like that she's she is like the perfect blend of her parents in color palette. Emma's signature red jacket is just so sharp. Love it. I think it carries on through the whole show, at least from what I can remember. And it's such a great little costume piece. Random uh, observation on the opening scene, the little our, uh, Cat Stevens montage. Uh, Archie's scarf is fabulous. That lime green plaid is ridiculous. And I love it. It looks so good actually with this color palette though and and i don't know it was just a little nice little detail i liked it yeah he's very like jiminy cricket like with like again like the scarves the green yeah the the kind of warm neutrals like camel taupe a little sometimes navy like you know scholarly he's supposed to look mm-hmm. like i think a little bit scholarly yeah well on the other side of the spectrum <laughs> regina wears the worst tailor jacket in the history of man and it makes me angry yeah it's a it's towards the end right it's, yeah, yeah yeah it's towards the end and she it's she has this jacket and like it doesn't have darts or anything that's yeah, poorly fitted and like lana has such like a very nice slight little frame 
So in this horrible boxy jacket, she just looks like a little girl who like stole her dad's business coat. Like it's too long in the shoulders and just like hangs horribly on her. And like usually when we see Regina, she's so, she looks so good and so put together. I don't, I don't yeah, know what was happening there, yeah. but it made me mad. <laughs> she is tiny. I met her. Um, at she is, Spencer. but there is someone whose job She's it is small. to make that jacket fit her. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's my, their if, whole job is to make that jacket fit. I think and, if my auntie, the, uh, the, the costume designer were to watch even an episode of this, she'd just be putting her head in the freezer. So, oh, I'm sure because she, she understands that it is someone's job to make that jacket just fit yeah. <laughs> and not look like you're six and are trying on your parents' clothes. Other than that, yeah, I, I guess I just reiterate that Mary Margaret wears honestly the cutest things I've ever seen. Oh, I know. And like, God, I wish I could look like that all the time. She's so cute. She's so cute. She's the cutest. It, it almost, like, I get cute aggression for how cute Mary Margaret is. Her pixie cut and her ears. Are mm-hmm. so cute. She's she's so cute. It like makes me go full circle to angry sometimes. Like, <laughs> yeah. No one, no one can, can be that cute. It's 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 kind of like um. Do you remember Tiny Toons on Lyra? Like like she just oh, like yeah. love animals like cute animals to death. And exactly and, like, cute she's aggression. Like, she's just like oh, I just want to hug and squeeze you out. Just, you know like yeah. yeah and it goes that exactly full her. circle where you're actually mad. Yeah. <laughs> Like you, it's so cute. You love it so much. It actually makes you viscerally angry. That's how that's, I feel about my cats. Yeah, no, no, same. Like I, I end up aggressively yelling, "You're so cute!" at my cat. Sometime I tell, I, I tell Otis all the time that he's friends. so cute. It's a crime. <laughs> I'm like, it's a, it's illegal to be this cute. You're committing a felony. Yeah, my 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 cat Salem gets a lot of. You're so goddamn cute. How are you so goddamn cute? Who gave you this? Who gave you the right? Who are you for? Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch, at Henry's urging, Emma convinces Mary Margaret to pay a visit to a comatose man in the hospital and read to him from the storybook. Meanwhile, flashbacks show how Snow White and Prince Charming first met. Join us next Sunday to discuss Snow Falls. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. We are the Narrators 3. The moral of this episode is, why get revenge when you can get a pony? You can find us on social media at anchor.fm slash onceuponarewatch. We're at Twitter at Once Upon Rewatch. And on Tumblr, we're Once Upon a Rewatch.tumblr.com. And a special thank you for the master of royalty free music, uh, Kevin McLeod. Our intro uh, tune is Frost Waltz, and our outro is Fairy Tale Waltz. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. <laughs>